What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Okay, we are in uh, chapter 7, verse 11 is where we're going to start off. And uh, again, as this book has been written as an allegory of a picture of a king and his bride, but how we've been going through it, it the king represents King Jesus, and the bride represents his church individually, but also collectively. And so we've asked you to kind of go through this book, trying to, whenever the king is talking, trying to receive what he's saying so that you walk differently. And so chapter 7 was all affirmation. The king just speaking over her, speaking over her, speaking over her. And, and now she's received it internally. That's what we spent time on the last two weeks, right? It goes down smoothly for my beloved. I am my beloved's and his desires for me. There is this internal belief system that is going to break out into how she moves. This is really important for us. Christianity is lived from the inside out. From the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. And so we move from a place where we're convinced on the inside, and that way it affects the outside. Does that make sense? All right. Verse 11. She is mature. And she says, come, my beloved, come, King Jesus, let us go out into the fields. And I want you to highlight, let us, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. I want you to highlight villages. The first thing that I want you to get today is you see villages, there has been growth in this bride. I want you to keep your place here, and I want you to go back to Song of Solomon 1, verse 6, so we can see the transformation that happened. And listen, disciple, are you being transformed? Are you moving into maturity with King Jesus? Can people see you living from the inside out? Are you still trying to fake it till you make it? A form of religion, but denying the power. She is a mature bride. In 1.6, she says this, my own vineyard I have not kept. I like that. And put right above my own vineyard I've not kept, put 7.11. Why is that important? Well, let's go back to 7.11. And she says, lodge in the villages. Let us go out into the fields. She's no longer focused on her one vineyard. She's now convinced that she is his garden. And when she has that convincing, she can now move out to touch others. This is a big transformation. She is concerned in 11 about the villages. That is plural. That is out there. That is go into all the nation and preach the gospel, right? And go into all nations and and make disciples, right? She is going out. Why? Because she's convinced on the inside. She knows she's not jacked up anymore. See, in 1.6, her identity 
was her own life was jacked up. Her own life was messed up. And she's not thinking like that anymore. She's moved from chapter 1 to chapter 7, saying, you know what? Let's go out and not only touch one village, but multiple villages. This thing isn't about me. It's about you. It's about your kingdom. Are you there, disciple? She was at a place where she couldn't even keep her own vineyard. My own vineyard I've not kept. And now she's capable of keeping many vineyards. Instead of being consumed with self, she takes responsibility. She knows that her garden belongs to him. She knows that he is overwhelmed with her fragrances, that he is passionate for her, that with one glance of her eyes, his heart is ravished. See, when you are convinced that you are loved, you stop worrying about every fault and every shortcoming that you have because you know that he's the author and finisher of your faith. You're confident that he's going to complete the good work that he began in you. And you are being changed from glory to glory. There's a different mindset where self-forgetfulness happens. And many of us are stuck in the pews, focused on my own vineyard I've not kept. We're in chapter one. When God is saying, hey, I want to use you to touch the villages. I want to use you to touch the nations. This isn't about you and your faults. This is about me and what I want to do through you. And there is a gift that we all need to ask God for. It's the gift of self-forgetfulness. God, can I forget about myself long enough so that I can focus on you? Like, that, like that's a write-down, guys. There's a gift of self-forgetfulness. This is a constant prayer of mine where... Man, help me to forget about myself and to magnify your name and to focus on you and other people. This thing ain't about me. This life is not about me. God first, other second, I'm third. We have thoughts. I'm not ready. Is that from God? I'm not qualified. Is that from God? Where's that verse in the Bible, Christian? I don't know enough. I'm not, a, I'm not a pastor. What are all those things? They're all focused on your own vineyard. Now, there's a sense in Scripture where people are disqualified from being involved in ministry with ongoing sin and rebellion that they will not repent of. But usually in the church, that's, that's not the case with a lot of you that I know. A lot of you that I know are so focused about what you don't have and you're not ready and you're not qualified and you don't know enough. Let me just tell you that Christ is in you. He's in you. And he wants to live his life through you. Christianity is Christ living his life through you. And so the sooner we can focus on him and all who he is, the better off we're going to be. And we'll stop focusing on how jacked up our own vineyard is because it's not kept. And we'll focus on what's out there. And this is maturity, Christian. Jeremy, if you can play the 
parrot video, please. Why, why am I playing that? Here's why. Because there's been a lot of people, hey, man, we should just greet everybody and, and we should just say hi and welcome to church. Get up and shake everybody's hand, right? The extroverts like that, don't they? The introverts, that's the worst time of Sunday morning for me. It's the worst time. I hate that. Would he please stop doing that? And guess what? You landed at a church with an introvert pastor, so guess what? We don't do that. Here's the deal. That whole mindset is flawed. Because, and I, I really want you to get this, church. Stop saying I'm an introvert. Stop saying I'm an extrovert. You stand in Christ and do whatever he's calling you to do. You stand in Christ. God is love and I can do what he's calling me to do. This is the same thing with gifts. Well, I don't have to give to teaching. I don't have to give to this. I don't have to get to that. Last time I checked, Christ is in you. And if he wants to heal somebody, he's going to heal somebody through you. If Christ wants to give a word to someone and use you to, guess what? He can do that. But when you say that's not my gift or I'm an extrovert, I'm, I'm an introvert, you've just disqualified yourself because you're more focused on you than on the God of glory that lives inside of you. And you're worried about your own vineyard that you haven't kept. That's not my gift. That's not my gift. Yeah, don't say that. You have the greatest gift of all, the Holy Spirit of God that's indwelling in you. You have been sealed in Christ. You have been established in Christ. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is within you. And if God is for you, who or what can be against you? Get off yourself. Get on him. Jesus, walking this earth, he had questions going through his mind and heart, I'm sure. John chapter 8 says this, I only do the things that please the Father. Where was Jesus' focus? Pleasing the Father. So he must have been asking, Dad, is this going to please you? He also said, I only do what the Father's doing, I only say what the Father's saying. So he must have been asking, Father, what is it that you want me to do? Father, what is it that you want me to say? Do you see that humility there? The humility of self-forgetfulness where he's more consumed with God than self. We could stop the sermon right here. Because this is deep waters. She is mature. She's off her vineyard and she's focused outward. Where are you, disciple? Where are you? Where are you with your walk with God? He is so good. He wants to bring you to places, and he wants to do things in you that you can't even imagine or dream. That's why Ephesians 3.20 is just such a powerful verse. Let's go ahead and turn there, because I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Now to him who's able, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen to this. Actually, let, let, this is a good passage here. Let, let, let's go uh, up to 15. 
Let's go to 16, I mean. Ephesians 3.16. That according to the rich of his, riches of his glory, Ephesians 3.16, he may grant you to be strengthened with a power through his spirit in your inner being. You are being strengthened right now by the power of the Holy Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell, verse 17, in your hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God's will for your life is that you're filled with the fullness of God. That's his will, that you're filled with the fullness of God. What does that even look like? We can't even comprehend what that looks like. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. This is why you have to get out of your small mind. Our minds are too small. We, we can't comprehend what God has in store. That's why Isaiah 58, uh, uh, 55, it says, no mind can comprehend, no eye has seen what God has in store for those that love him, right? That his ways are higher than our ways. As how high as far as the heavens are above the earth, science doesn't know how high that is. And so our mindset most of the time is on us and what we lack Rather than looking at him who's going to do far more abundantly, Ephesians 3.20, than we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever. Wow. So, disciple, are you moving to the place where... Where, where you're asking God for the gift of self-forgetfulness so that you begin to walk in maturity. Let's go, Song of Songs 7, verse 12. And so in, 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 in context, she's like, let us go out into the fields and into the villages. Let us go out early into the vineyards. And I want you to highlight, let us, let us again, and also go out early. Now, those of you who hate to get up early... Where are you at? This verse is irritating for you, probably. See, the the thing is, is that she's not lazy. She's not hitting snooze. She's become indifferent to her own comfort. She's not feeling forced like a have to. Go back to Song of Songs 1-6 again. It says, my mother's sons were angry with me. They made me. They made me. Is ministry a have to or a want to for you? A lot of times it's been a have to for me. If it's a have to, something's off. Doesn't mean you quit. But you're not doing Christianity right if it's a have to. Something's off. And she wants to get up and she wants to go out early. It's not, 
It's not they made me forced labor for chapter one. She can't wait to go and work in the fields. Why? She's mature. Chapter one represents the immature bride. Chapter seven and eight represent the mature bride. It's different now. The perspective changed. Getting up early speaks to inconvenience. Getting up early speaks to an urgency and a diligence in serving the Lord. And she expresses her eagerness to embrace inconvenience and diligent labor in her walk with Christ. Because the relationship is everything to her, outcomes don't matter. You might want to write that down. Because the relationship is everything to her, outcomes don't matter. I remember when I would have a basketball game in high school. That was the only days I would get up early. I would get up early. I would shoot. I would dribble. I would... I would get my game ready because I was excited about what was going to happen that night at the game. But other than that, I'm hitting snooze for school. Maturity is when we're filled with a joy no matter what is ahead of us. Hebrews 12.2, it says this, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Think about this. As Jesus embraced the cross, the most painful, excruciating thing. In fact, that's where the word excruciating comes from. It comes from crucifixion. Excruciating. It was so painful. But this says the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The cross didn't bring him joy. It was us that brought him joy. He knew that if he did this, if he embraced the cross, I would, I would have you. I would have me. He would have us in his arms. And so maturity, maturity looks like this joy of getting up, this excitement of going. And so again, disciple, as we're going through this, man, Are we we mature? Are we growing to maturity? Are we like, on these first two points, I'm 0 for 2. And that's okay. It's why you're here. It's why you're here. Because God is calling you into himself. He's calling you to a place of maturity. Now, let's look at 7.11 again. It says, let us. And then in verse 12, it says, let us. So you see that twice. What I want you to do is I want you to go back, keep your, keep your, highlight those two, let us, let us, all right? Somebody's going to have lettuce today for lunch, by the way. So I want you to, to flip back to Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 11, and I want you to see the difference, the difference and the maturity here. It says, I went down. Notice there's no let us go down. She went from a mindset of me, myself, and I to a mindset of let us go. See, it's like this. I have to serve in children's church today. I have to serve there. I have to, no, no, no. I, I, it's not I, it's, it's us. 
we have to serve today in Children's Church, Jesus. Because we're never alone. She's gotten to the place where her, she even speaks doctrinally sound stuff. It's no longer I, but it's us. There's a maturity. Verse 12 of chapter 6, before I was aware, before I was aware, before I was aware. Chapter 6, verse 12, before I was aware, again, she's no longer in the eyes anymore. She's, she's, it's us now, it's us now, it's us now. I want you to turn to John 17, 21, please. And I really want you to see the cry of Jesus' heart for you and for me. This is the cry of his heart. John 17, verse 21. It says, it says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. What does that mean? That means union. That means oneship. That means that, like, we have union with God now through the blood of the cross. The culmination of the Bible, Emmanuel, God with us, now God is in us through the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are one now with Jesus. John 17, verse 22, it says that, that they may be one even as we are one. John 17, 23 I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. And so the level of love that the Trinity has, the level of union that the Trinity has, Jesus is saying, I want that with you. And then this, go down to 1726. It says, John 1726, the love that which you have the love, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is about union. This is about oneness. The two shall become one in marriage. That's what Christianity is. It's Christ is here. When two or three are gathered in my name, I am what? I'm here. I'm in your midst. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, right? And this is why Paul, in his writings, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Colossians 1.27, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Like, guys, this is it. This is it. God is with us. He's with us always. Always. I like this video Jeremy's about to play. The music was just really, I'd rather listen to it anyway. I'd rather, I'm not trying to judge, but it was horrible. Um, but the video's good. It's a little cheesy, but it's good. And I really pray that you get this mindset. Go, go ahead, Jeremy. Oops, sorry, David Phelps. I love Jesus doing garbage. I wish Jesus would be more with me on the golf course, to be quite honest with you. I don't, I don't think he is. 
All right, I think we got, well, yeah, let's, 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 you guys get the picture. Everywhere you go, Jesus goes with you. He goes with you. And listen, this is, this is coming into an awareness of this gift of abiding is what Christianity is, it's, it's all about. It's that we, it's a, it's what Dallas Willard calls, calls the with God life, that he's always with you. And most of us, most of the church, right, we think that God is out there somewhere. Most of us, right, will go and sign up for a conference because this anointed pastor is going to be there and, and there's going to be an impartation. And, and listen, hey, I, I, I get down to, with that stuff sometimes, but here's the reality. Christ is in you. And so much time's wasted looking for him out there when he's right here. He's here. He's with you. I want you to turn to Matthew 11, please. And this is Jesus' teaching. I'm going to give you five points here on abiding in Christ, five steps of how to abide in Christ. They're really, really simple. But to do them... To live them, this is what God's calling us to. Matthew eleven twenty five, and in context, Jesus is re- he just gets done rebuking religious leaders because they're missing him. They're missing him and who he is, and he warns them. He's warning them, and then he just shifts, and he says. 11.25, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding. Again, in context, he was talking about the religious class that knew the word but missed him. He says of the Pharisees, you search the word, but you miss, you miss me. You miss who they're talking about. And again, we as a church, we can become like that, having a form of religion, but denying the power. Because the power is where? It's in you. It's in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is within you. And so Jesus says, you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding, and, and you revealed them to who? To little children. To little children? This is why signing up for Children's Church is really good for you, because you learn how to live in the kingdom by watching children. This was God's will. And so if you're taking note, this gift of abiding, number one, it has to be revealed. That means that you need to be in a posture of humility to receive this. It has to be revealed. This is what Jesus is saying here. You have revealed them to little children. Point number two, it's only going to be revealed to little children. 
Hey, adults in the room, grow down. Humble yourself. Do you know that apart from God, you can't do anything? But yet we act like it when we drive to church and we don't pray, God, I need you. I didn't pray that when I drove to church, by the way. But this is, this is what he's calling us to. We think like Christianity is like this. Okay, once I know this, then I'm going to go do this. Okay, now that I've got this degree, now that I've taken these classes, now that I have this, I'm going to go work for you, God. And if that's your mentality, you don't understand Christianity. Christianity is that I'm going to depend on Christ and Christ alone, not my natural gifts, not my talents. I'm going to depend on you. I'm going to abide in you because apart from you, I can do nothing. And so I want you to keep your place here. Go to Matthew 18, and we'll come back to Matthew 11. So just flip a few pages over, and let me drill down on this for you a little bit more. Point number two, it's only going to be revealed to little children. Matthew 18, 3 says this. It says, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and you become like children, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Without humility, you'll never abide in Christ because you think you have it all together. And sometimes God brings you failure after failure after failure to bring you to the place that you realize, boy, I can't do this life without you. I can't love my wife without you. I can't parent without you. And he puts you in these situations where you're forced to say, okay, God, I can't do this life. That, that, that's what Matthew 5, 3 means, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poverty in spirit means that I'm so poor, I can't do anything without God. I don't know if you've reached that place in your life before. In fact, that Greek word there, blessed are the poor in spirit, there's two words for poor. One was to have a little. The widow's might, she had a little, little. she gave a little. But the word Jesus chooses to word, use in Matthew 5.3 means destitute to have nothing. You don't have a little. You have nothing. Children, without the protection of their parents, they're going to get taken. Without parents feeding them, they're going to die. Without parents changing their diapers, and some of us need God to change our diapers this morning, kids are completely dependent upon the parents. And Jesus is saying, unless you become like that, you're never going to enter into my kingdom. This is why Jesus says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. Why? Not because of money, but because some people live like they don't have it. They don't need anything from you, God. And that's why it's hard. It's not because of the money. It's a dependence thing. I don't need God in my life. 
And so point number two, again, if you're taking note, it's only going to be revealed to little children. I don't know where you are today, but you're never going to abide in Christ unless you take the posture of a child. Daddy, hold my hand. Daddy, will you pick me up? Daddy, will you do this life with me? Daddy, I need you. I need your leadership. I need your will. I need your wisdom. I need your thoughts. I need your words. What are you saying? What are you doing? This is a posture of abiding, that you understand that God is going to reveal because he wants to reveal, but you have to be humble. You have to be humble. I have to be humble. Let's go back to Matthew 11, verse 27. Jesus continues to talk, and he says this. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And you might want to write down any highlight anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. If Jesus doesn't choose to reveal himself to you, you're not going to know. You're not going to know the Father. You're not going to know the Son. You are dependent on revelation. Just like a little child is dependent on revelation from mom and dad. Hey, don't go out in the road. Or, hey, look both ways before you go out in the road. A little kid doesn't know that unless he's reve- he gets revelation from his parents. And this is why many of us keep getting run over. Because we're too proud to look up and say, Dad, should I cross now? Oh, we want to be Frogger. Those of you who are over 35, you got that probably. Okay, Ryan. So point number three, point number three, Jesus has to choose to reveal it. Well, Chris, that's the same as point number one. I know. I don't think you're listening. Now, here's the deal. Jesus said it twice, so I'm going to say it twice. It's not redundant. He knows that we don't walk in a posture. We think another class, another book, another this, another that. No, 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 no. Unless he chooses to reveal it, you're not going to get it. That strikes in the face of the American mindset of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No, you don't have bootstraps without God. You can't pull up without God. You can do nothing apart from me. You can do nothing. John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus has to choose to reveal it. Verse 28, it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So here's the deal. Jesus wants to teach us how to abide. How do we do it? We got to come to him, trusting he's going to reveal, and we got to come like little children. So point number, number three or excuse me, number four, we have to come to him. He wants to do it. It's his idea. This is really good news that Jesus is calling you to come to him. And so Christians, listen, listen, Christians who burn out in ministry have not learned how to abide in Christ. Chris, that's a tough statement. I know. I know it is. Again, Christians who burn out in ministry have not learned how to abide in Christ. I want you to pray about that. Sometimes God is 
He's doing a Job thing where he's trying to bring us to the end of ourselves. But listen, guys, if you're burning out in ministry, you're not abiding in Christ. How do I know that? Well, it's what Jesus says right here. Verse 29. Take my what? Yoke. And I want you to highlight yoke. I Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn from me. If you are prideful and you're not like a child, you'll never learn from Jesus. I got this thing. For I am what? Gentle. And I'm lowly in heart. And you will find what? Is that the opposite of burnout? Yes. So something's off. Something's off if I'm not walking in rest. Do you know Jesus says I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, so every day, biblically, doctrinally, is the Sabbath. Why? Because the Lord of the Sabbath is in you, in me. It's not a day anymore. Some of you religious people don't like that. Listen, the Lord of the Sabbath is inside of you, so it is Sabbath all the time. If you've entered Christ, you've entered the Sabbath. You've entered rest. And Jesus says, you'll find rest for your souls. And then he says it again, for my yoke, my yoke, highlight yoke. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so the fifth thing is this. Have you taken his yoke upon you? His yoke upon you. Uh, Jeremy, go ahead and put up that picture for me. This is a... Don't look at me doing the selfie. Look at those two guys on the ground, okay? Uh, that was poor servant leadership on my part. Um, in fact, we got Jay, Jay Will. I saw you in here. Where are you, Jay Will? Right, stand up, Jason. Say, way, way to go, man. Yeah, Jason Willis. Yeah, just a servant. And uh, Will Fuente. So this is a yoke. This is what a yoke is. And so a yoke was put on animals around their necks. And what a farmer would do was they would have a big, strong animal, and that animal would be trained to walk straight lines and to plow straight. But then they would take a, a young animal, a young oxen, and they would yoke up the oxen to the strong oxen. But on the inside of the baby oxen, there was nails and so the little ones, they want to go like this and like this and like this, right? And after a while, when I do that, I get hurt. So now all of a sudden, I'm trained, I'm trained to go straight after walking with somebody stronger than me. Listen, Christian disciple, Jesus calls you to take my yoke upon you. Guess what you represent? The little one who wants to do his own thing, her own thing. YOLO. I want to live my life. And when you're yoked, right, that, that, that's not good. And so the humble posture, okay, Jesus, you are going straight. The road is narrow. The road is narrow. Help me not to... Lean on my own understanding, but help me to trust you with all my heart so that you'll make my paths, what? Straight. So Jesus, I should be plowing straight. I should be plowing with you. I want to follow you. I want to be like a child. I want to receive all the leadership of you, Jesus, that I can 
And I just want to follow you. I want to be with you. Another way to look at this word yoke in the original context was teaching. Teaching. A teacher's yoke was his teaching. And Jesus is saying, take my teaching upon you. Some of us have a misnomer about Jesus' words. In fact, 1 John 5 says this, verse 3, His commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. So when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's saying, my teaching is easy, my teaching is it's light, it will give you life. And, and the wrong kind of mindset is this, is that Jesus, your teachings are just way too hard. Understand that's not here with this girl. That's not here with her. She's grown from an individual mindset to a mindset of working with God. She's yoked up with him. She says, let us, let us, let us. And so, disciple, I would, I would ask that you begin to cry out for the gift of abiding. That you would say in your heart, Jesus, I want to be yoked up with you. That you will humble yourself like a child and say, I want to learn from you. Let's go to verse 12. Chapter 7, verse 12. And see whether the vines have, have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. And I want you to highlight this. There I will give you my love. There I will give you my love. This is a different type of mentality. No more striving. No more, I have to go to work, but I'm going to work to give you my love. Brother Lawrence, who wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God, I highly recommend it. He hated washing dishes as a monk. But when his focus changed to loving Jesus while washing dishes, his job became secondary and he learned to wash, learned to love washing dishes. See, she's of this mindset, no matter what I do, my whole purpose is to give my love to Jesus, to give my love to Jesus You know, Brandy, when your class is hard and those little kids aren't obeying you, what you do for one of the least of these, you do it to who? Me. If your motive is to, I just want to give you my love, Jesus, it shifts everything in the room because loving those kids is loving Jesus. Moses had this kind of mentality in, in Exodus thirty three fifteen. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Do not bring us. I don't even want to go if I'm not going to go with your presence. Verse 13, 
It says the mandrakes, Song of Songs 713, the mandrakes give forth fragrance. In the Old Testament, mandrakes were known as a love-making fruit. Say love-making fruit. Yeah, I don't know if you can get that at Publix anymore. You can read Genesis 30 at your own time. We don't have time because we're landing the plane. But what was on her mind was love, not the work. Again, the love, not the work. This is maturity. 13b. It says, beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I've laid up for you, oh, my beloved. So I want you to highlight that. I've laid up for you, I've laid up for you. Meaning that she was an extravagant lover. This wasn't an afterthought. Husbands, before our brides, a lot of us had a plan for date night. We used to use cologne and brush our teeth. Now let's just put a gum in. I'm just kidding. And the love grows cold. And we're not operating with a mindset. I've laid this up for you. Choice fruits, fragrance, mandrakes. I am planning. I am preparing to do what? To give you my love. I am so consumed with a passion for you. I want to give you my love. It was not an afterthought. Jeremy, if you could put up the picture of this Bible. I just got this Bible this week, and it was made for me by my friend who's a pastor up in Vermont, Chris Geppner. And it's a leather Bible with camo. Um, I think he thinks I'm dangerous. <laughs> but you see the tabs? You see those? That teal and orange? What is, what is that? That's dolphins, baby. And, and way to go, Mike. And way to get your house in order right there. I see you. Um, Dolphins colors. And not only that, it's ESV large print. <laughs> Why? Because I'm old school, baby. See, these are real big letters here, guys. And I said, Chris, thank you, man. Thank you for thinking of me. I'm reminded of the University of Miami in the 80s with Jimmy Johnson. And then boys came in with camo. And then uh, the Miami Dolphins there. And then... The large print. He's like, yeah, I thought of all those things about you because I know what you like. See, it wasn't an afterthought. It was a gift that was planned. And how many men would like to come home from work one day with rose petals <laughs> leading into the bedroom with a little Jodeci on or something else on with the candles and with the lights? Now, some of us, you were like, when's this sermon going to end? And some of you are like, keep going, Pastor. Preach it. We'll stay longer today. We can feel the anointing. Now, here's the thing, though. I joke about that. Some of you, it's not funny. You know why? Because it's become a duty and a have to. And it's not your spouse's fault. It's your fault. Did he just say that? Yeah, I said that. Because you're not abiding in Christ. Christ 
He's love. And he wants to love them despite them, despite their faults, despite they keep leaving dishes in the sink. Listen, Martha put the end to that. You know the story. He rebuked Martha for doing dishes. So Jesus, for all time, says, hey, you can leave dishes in the sink overnight. That's good doctrine. And some of us are so focused on what they're doing, what they're not doing, that I don't want to give them my love because there's no love here. And let me just say, it's not a marriage problem. It's a discipleship problem. You haven't learned how to abide in Christ. And your spouse isn't the problem. You're the problem. Hope you come back next week. (laughs) My wife and I do a lot of marriage counseling, and the first thing that we have to do is please stop talking about them. Where is your heart? See, she's talking about working in the fields. Let us go. There I will give you my love. I've prepared this. I've prepared this. I've prepared this. She's become a giver, not a taker. She wants to love. She wants to serve. And how does Christ look at us, disciple? Even though they don't want me, I'm going to die for them. Even though they're spitting in my face, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even though they don't really want to follow me because they don't trust me, I still got plans for them, not to harm them, but to prosper them and to give them a hope and a future. Even though they are rebels in their heart, I'm going to embrace that cross for them because I love them and I want them and I just want to be with them. I'll cry out, come to me, come to me, come to me. Are you weary and heavy laden? I'm going to give you rest, rest for your soul. Come on, I want to be yoked with you. I want to do life with you. And we give God the Heisman. No, I want to do life on my own. And yet, you're here today because he's still coming for you. Because he loves you. And this is the love of God that will never stop. It will never quit until you just simply come like a little child and say, Jesus, I surrender. I don't want to do life anymore on my own. I just want to follow you. I want to abide in you. Would you teach me how to do that? Worship team, let's go ahead and come on up. Let's go ahead and stand, church. Jesus, we just thank you for your love that never fails. Your love endures forever. And Jesus, you have captured our heart. You have captured our heart. And so, God, we just ask for more. God, we just release and we give up those areas of our life where we have a hard time trusting you.
or we have a hard time following you. Maybe fear, maybe fear of man, maybe it's issues from our past. Oh, Jesus, would you just break into all those today so we can believe that abiding in you, abiding in you, is this abundant life that you've called us to. Jesus, we take those points now and we make them a prayer. Jesus, you have to reveal, so we ask that you would bring a greater revelation of who you are, of who the Father is. Reveal that to us, please. We humble ourselves now like a little child, knowing that if you don't give, we won't have. we come to you Jesus because you say come to me so we do we do we do but we don't stop there we say yes Lord by faith we want to take your yoke upon us and we want to learn from you we want to learn from you Jesus and Lord if there's somehow some way that you can wrap that yoke around our necks so we never move off of you ever again a place of constant awareness of your presence, of your constant abiding love, God. May we just follow you for the rest of our life. Would you bring us into that place of abiding? Please, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com dot com.